Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Today we're going to finish up our short series of three messages on the hard sayings of Jesus. Now you remember the first two messages we devoted to hard sayings of Jesus were those hard sayings that are hard to believe or maybe hard to understand. This morning uh, in this last message in the series, I want to talk about a hard saying of Jesus that's actually hard for us to live out. And the hard saying that I'm talking about is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, which says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, unfortunately, we as followers of Jesus, we are not immune from worry. How, how do we do this? Jesus tells us not to. It's hard not to worry. So I think one of the first things we have to do this morning is, is define what do we mean by worry or anxiety? What, what exactly is it? As best as I can understand, worry is when we allow ourselves to be mentally and emotionally distressed and agitated about things that are impending or certain possible future outcomes. So in reality, worry is a state of mind or a state of being as we contemplate the future. And so it would be the opposite of being at peace. Instead of being in our hearts settled and tranquil, we're agitated, upset, distressed over what might be in the future. Synonyms for worry are things like agitated, bothered, derailed, discomforted, discomposed, frazzled, perturbed, undone, unhinged, unsettled, and, and really I have an awful lot more. I'm just picking, uh, picking a few there. Now let me just acknowledge up front that there are physical mental disorders dealing with anxiety, and, and if you suffer from one of those, then, then there's help out there. Go and, and, and avail yourself of that help. But for most of us, worry isn't a product of genetic or physical problems, but rather it's a problem of us operating in error and not believing the truth. And before we actually look at the text in which Jesus couches this command, don't worry, what, I, what I'd like to do is define, define what, uh, what worry isn't. That would help us understand what worry is. Worry isn't planning for the future or taking certain necessary precautions. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise without having a chief or officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You know, see, it's a good thing to plan ahead in our lives. And that's how we maintain balance. Your, your needs will be met when you are making sensible plans for the future. Proverbs 27, verse 23 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. In other words, Solomon is telling us, pay attention to your finances and to your investments. You need to know where your money is going and how much money you're saving. Only the fool doesn't seek to plan for what lies ahead. Proverbs 22, verse 3 and 27, 12 say the same thing. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. Proverbs 14, 8 through 10. The sensible person's wisdom is to consider his ways, but the stupidity of fools deceives them. Only the fool doesn't take precautions when, uh, when necessary. 
So worry is not the opposite of sensible planning and reasonable precautions. Worry is when our mind, our spirit is agitated, consumed with anxiousness and, and not at peace. And so Jesus begins this teaching time that he has in Matthew chapter 6, and he tells us not to worry. Here's what he says in verse 25. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your lives, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Now, Jesus starts here because we need to put ourselves back in that first century Palestine. You know, there is not a food lion or a Kroger down the road where people can go and buy their groceries. I mean, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, these are things that people are, they genuinely can worry about those things. Those things can render them not at peace in their hearts as they think about them in the future. And Jesus tells us not to worry about those things. But, but the fact that he's really talking about everything, and one of the reasons I know this is because in verse 27, he, he adds this phrase. He says, can anyone by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, your Bible may translate that, may add a, a, a couple inches to his height. You know, the translation is, uh, is not quite sure which Jesus said there. But, but either way, it, it shows us that Jesus is talking about just worrying in general, that we are not to be anxious on the inside about what's coming in the future, but we are nonetheless to be uh, to be at peace. Remember, worry is that mental state where you're agitated and derailed and frazzled and unhinged over what may happen. Now, like just about everything Jesus did, what Jesus commands us to do, he also gives us helps in doing it. And in the verses that follow, Jesus tells us three things that I believe will help us not to worry. So here's the first one. Jesus says, if you're not going to worry, understand what's true. And he tells us there are three things. In these verses, Jesus tells us there are three things that we need to know that if we know them, they'll help us not worry. And the first one is this, God cares for you and God cares for me. In verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Jesus says the birds don't store up for the future, yet God meets their needs. And then he asks this question, Aren't you more valuable than them? And and of course, that's a rhetorical question. And, And he means the answer is definitely. And then he illustrates this truth once more using clothing. And he says, and why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor, spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Jesus says, man, just consider the the valley filled with wildflowers. You ever seen it? It's just beautiful. He says, if God does that for them, how much more is he going to do? Is he going to take care of your needs for clothing? So so don't worry. Verse 31, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Don't worry because you are so much more valuable to God. God cares for you. I know maybe you know this in your head. I wish I had some way to convey it to you in your heart, but you are loved You are cared for. You are valuable to God. Know that. That's what Jesus is saying here. You are valuable to God. Now, the big elephant in the room is this. If God cares for me, why did I lose my job? 
If God cares for me, why did they foreclose on my house and I lose my house and everything? If God cares for me, why did my son die? What Jesus says here is that we are so much more valuable than the birds because we are created in in his image. We were made to know him and to enjoy this world as co-regents with God. Basically, God, God said, hey, you go rule in my stead. You rule over the world. So here's what Jesus means. Whatever happens in our lives, a loving God knows and cares. So don't worry. Jesus isn't saying that no bad thing is going to happen to you. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying that in the midst of the bad thing, that whatever happens to you, he cares for you. He's, he promises things like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to see you through. I'm going to give you the grace you need. I'm going to give you the grace for that. So you don't have to worry about the future because I'm going to be with you in it. Now, the second thing Jesus wants us to know, that we need to know, is that first, God cares for you. Number two, though, is that worry accomplishes nothing. It, it, it does absolutely, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't help in any way. Worry accomplishes nothing. Verse 27, can any of you add a single cubit of, uh, to his height by worrying? Here's the deal. Uh, worry doesn't fix anything, can't change anything. Wor- worry can't make you grow taller. As I said, this verse is translated in two different ways. Can't make you grow taller and it can't add an, a day to your life by, by worrying. When Shep died, it was looking like we, we weren't going to get him home by Friday when uh, we had planned to meet as a family. And then Saturday we were going to have the, the memorial service. And I remember worrying starting to rise because if Shep wasn't home, it just, it just felt like everything was out of place. My, my children's lives were really going to be kind of turned topsy-turvy, more so than they already were with Shep's death. And worry started to rise within me. And I remember saying to the Lord at some point, God, I cannot control this. I will not worry. That didn't stop me from making some phone calls. And, And Shep made it back Thursday night, just before our time together on Friday. But I was not worried. I was not worried because God cares for me. And because I knew that worrying wouldn't wouldn't accomplish anything at all. And the third thing that God wants you to know is that God is fully aware of your needs. In verse 32, for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. God understands that you need what you need and he knows. People who do not seek uh, to know God, they eagerly seek for provisions. Jesus saying, your father knows you need them. And in essence, he's saying, seek him. When you're faced with a need, know this, God is very much aware of it. And, and I found peace in, in, in that God knows what Anne and I and the, knee, and the kids need in this, in this time in our lives. God, God is not aloof. God is not disconnected from my pain. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is telling his disciples not to be afraid of their enemies or even death by their enemies. And listen to what he says. He says, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul or the immaterial part of us. Rather, fear him that is God who is able to destroy both your soul and your body in hell. 
And then he says this, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have been counted, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus says, don't be afraid, you know, people who can kill your body, but they can't kill your, the immaterial part of you. But rather fear God who can destroy both the immaterial part of you, your soul, and your body in, in hell. But here's the part I really want you to hear about what Jesus said. Jesus tells his disciples that God's knowledge of them is so elaborate that, that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. God knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He, he knows your needs. He knows impending danger out in front of you. God knows all of those things. Now, don't hear me saying that God's going to remove all those things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying God knows and God cares for you. And worrying about, about anything accomplishes nothing. So the first thing that we have to do, the first thing Jesus tells us is, that we have to do if we're going to overcome worry is we have to, number one, know certain things, know these truths. But here's the second thing. We have to decide to trust God. We have, to, we have to decide to trust God. In verse 30, it says, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? You of little faith. Jesus knows that we know these things. And probably everything that I just said to you, you already knew. You'd heard it before. Okay. The key is, is not necessarily knowing the truth, although that is a key, excuse me. But it is not, it's, not, it's not enough just to know these things. We have to believe these things. We have to trust in this truth. If you truly believe that God cares for you and worry doesn't help and that God knows your situation, that he's not oblivious to it, then you will not worry. Now remember, worry is that, that state of mind that's anxious, that's, that's just agitated, that's not at peace. But the Bible says that the mind state on God is, is a mind of peace. Remember, the linchpin truth of the Bible is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't understand that, but that's, that's the key to pleasing God. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for us to trust in him. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author tells us that um, by faith, God's people conquered their fears and they overcame much. By faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fires, escaped the edge of sword, gained the strength to, uh, in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. But maybe a more practical question might to be to ask right here, maybe a more practical question would be, how do I take what I know and turn it into what I believe? How do I go from just knowing truth to actually trusting truth? What, what do I do? How do I do that? And taking my cue from, from the word of God itself and from King David, here's what he said in Psalm 56, verse 3. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, before I say anything else, notice what David says. He says, when I am afraid. It's not if I'm afraid, but he says, when I'm afraid. Fear, 
anxiety, I mean, worry, it pops up in us, okay? I can't, I can't stop it from never starting, but what I can do is I can deal with it once it rises up within me. And uh, when I first recognized my anxiety or fear, here's what David says. He says, I'm going to make a conscious decision to trust in God. He says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to make a decision to put my confidence and my trust in the fact that you care about me and that you know what I'm going through, that, that somehow you're not missing this by accident. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in you. I'm going to make a decision to do that. Remember, Jesus told us, he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He was saying in the context that when we know God's word, that that freedom can set us free if if we will make a choice to, to believe it, choose to believe it. When you are feeling anxious, rehearse these three truths that we've just established, that God cares for you, that worry doesn't accomplish anything, and that God absolutely knows what you're going through, and then choose to believe them. I may make a decision. God, I, I, I put my trust in you. Peter tells us, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Here's what I, I'm trying to get us to see. Faith is a choice. I don't know how well I'm doing this, but uh, at this, but, but faith is a choice. It's a decision we make. And when our emotions drive us to fear, fear drives us in turn, to exercise faith. And when we do, fear dissipates. Anxiety goes away. So does worry. The begin Somebody has said, I don't know who said this, but the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. One of my, uh, one of my brothers is a pilot. And uh, he told me that this is not so true anymore, but because they have GPSs in all the planes now. He says, but before the time of GPSs, the tower would be telling, you know, the pilots how to land. And, you know, when there, when there was low visibility, say the cloud cover was just way, way down. So you're coming. You can't see the runway. You can't see anything. You're just in clouds. And when you pop out of the clouds, I mean, the runway is right there. And you have to, he said, you have to trust what the, uh, what the tower is telling you. Even though you can't see it, even though it doesn't feel right, maybe, you have to just trust what the tower is is telling you and, and that's what that's what jesus is telling us here just trust that god cares for you trust that god knows your needs even when you can't see it trust in him faith is choosing to trust god implicitly even in even when i'm being blinded by pain or blinded by sorrow let me bore down on this even more practically choose to trust god by talking to god about it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When the warning bell of fear and anxiety goes off, and you start to feel anxious on the inside, that's when you stop and you pray and you talk to God. And you tell him about your fear and you thank him for the truth that he cares for you. And you thank him that he knows what's going on. And you thank him that he's going to be with you, that he's going to take care of you. 
And again, I want to reiterate that doesn't mean that everything is, is, you know, that the problem isn't still going to be painful. But it does mean that he's going to be with you and he's going to see you through it. He cares. Worry is pointless. And he knows, he knows your needs. When Carlos, our local sheriff, for those of you who don't know him, brought me the news of Shep's death, I surely uh, must have been in shock at some level. But I remember telling God in my heart, here comes my biggest test and I will trust you. Verse 7 seems to promise us that when we choose faith, the peace of God is going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's going to push out the anxiousness. It's going to push out the worry. So how do we overcome worry and anxiousness when it, when it begins to rise up within us? Number one, we have to know the truth. Okay, God cares for you. Worry doesn't do anything, and God knows. He's not unaware. Number two, you have to believe the truth. Not enough to know the truth. You have to believe it. You have to act on it. Okay, and finally, Jesus says, seek the right thing in your life. Verse 32, for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. If we, <clears throat> in verse 32, verse 33, Jesus contrasts what people who do not seek God and what people who do seek God seek after. People who don't know God seek after stuff. That's what he says in verse 32. He says, they seek after what they're going to eat, drink, and wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And Gentile is not a, a racial uh, descriptor there. It's, it's, a, it's a religious descriptor. Those who know God and those who don't. He says, the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, people who don't know God basically seek after stuff, stuff to live on. But your father knows you need all those things. Most children don't come home from school worrying about supper that night. Now, there, there will be some, but there, most children don't. They just know mom and dad have taken care of it. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. You know, the, the Gentiles who don't know, people who don't know the Father, who don't know God, they, they're always worried about these things. So they don't know where they're going to come from. But we need to be more like the kids who come home after school, just trusting that mom and dad are going to take, uh, take care of things for us. In the second and the second time in this chapter, Jesus reminds us of God's compassion and omniscience, you know, about what our needs are. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they seek, uh, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you, what you need before you ask. If you seek for stuff, everyone, you're going to reap worry, okay? Now, people who do know God, they don't seek after things, they seek after God. That's what Matthew 6.33 says. It's the grand summation of this whole entire text. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And here's the word to believers. There are people who don't know God, who seek the benefits God provides, but they do not seek God. The command here is to seek first the kingdom of God. And this is, is not, this is not a sequential 
first. This is a priority first. And here's what I mean by that. It's not like seek God first, then seek your family, then seek your job, and then seek your pleasures. That's not what God is saying. Here's what God is saying. In your family, seek me first. In your job, seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. In your pleasures, seek me first. In in your time, seek me first. In your money, seek me first. When Shep died, I knew I had a choice. Would I seek God in his kingdom or would I dissolve into the kingdom of me and what I no longer had? I made a choice and made a choice. We would seek him and his kingdom and honor his name and honor him in the midst of this uh, tremendous sorrow for, for me and for my family. Jesus has told us, you know, as his disciples, that we are to love him above family. We're to seek him above family, above everything else. He said, if not, you're not worthy of me. People who know God seek him, rest in him, love him above everything else. And there's a wonderful promise in that verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God first. Trust God that he cares for you, okay? Trust God that he knows. Seek him, and, and he's going to take care of all of those things. It's God's, you know, it's God's affirmative action program. It's his social security system. It's his faith-based initiative. If we seek God, he's going to take care of everything in our lives. This has been true in the Old Testament and in the New. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it's impossible to please him forever uh, would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And as God adds all these things to us that we need, he doesn't forget to give us peace. He removes our anxiety and he gives us the peace. But that comes on the other end of seeking him. So before I end, let me just talk for a couple more minutes about how to seek first the kingdom of God. I got two suggestions. One of them is this. Seek the kingdom of God by consciously choosing to do so. So much in our life begins with conscious decisions that we make. You know, it's a, we're willful creatures. And so we choose by an act of our will to put our focus on the creator. We have a will. So we have the ability to make a decision between two competing choices in our life. You are not like the other creatures. You are made in the image of God. And you are not a creature that acts on instinct, you know, who has to act according to, you know, his nature. You, You can act contrary to your greatest desire. So decide today that you will see what you'll seek and that you'll seek God, what you'll focus your life on, that you'll focus your life on God. You you can choose, like those who don't know God, to live your life focused on getting stuff, getting ahead and getting power. Or you can choose to set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. What does the world say? He who dies... With the most toys at the end wins, right? That's not true. He who dies with Christ wins because he is awarded in the resurrection immortality and life with God face to face forever with all his loved ones, never to suffer again, no more sorrow, no more death.
What awaits the person who dies in Christ are eternal relationships with our family. When Joshua, Joshua gathered the Jewish people together, probably most of them did not have faith in God. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. The prophet Elijah gathered there on Mount Carmel. You know, only 7,000 believing Jews evidently in that area or maybe in all of, all of Israel. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. They wouldn't make a choice. I remember I was 19 years old when I decided that Jesus was Lord and that I would follow him. And ever since then, I've continued to seek him, seek him first, seek his kingdom. That doesn't mean I've always lived up to that in any kind of uh, you know, I, you know what kind of grade God would put on that seeking Him. I don't know. That decision has has cost me because to say yes to Him is to say no to my heart's desires. Seeking Him is a choice to put Him first, to obey Him, to live for Him, to make God and His will for us expressed through Jesus and His Word the focus of our lives. And I said I was going to give you two suggestions. That's one of them. Make a decision to, to uh, seek the Lord, decide to do it, put, you know, exercise your will that God has given you. Cry out to God, say, God, I, I want to seek you first. Now, the second suggestion that I want to make is this, consciously resist the pull to seek anything else first, including your own happiness. Now, know that maybe that's just repeating what I just said in the negative. If we seek God first, technically we wouldn't be focused on all these other things. But what I mean is, what I mean is this, as we engage in seeking the kingdom of God, let's do it on two fronts. Let's seek the kingdom of God, but let's also fight against those things in our lives that want first spot. The first of the Ten Commandments is that we are not to have any gods that rival the Creator for the, the throne of our heart. You see, every heart has a throne and on that throne sits something or someone every day without fail each of us comes to that throne to present ourselves as obedient servants of God we, we want to say here's what seeking first the kingdom of God means it means God I want you to sit on the throne of my heart and I come to serve you you know if we believe that there is a creator and that he is God he has the right to that that throne in our heart but we need to recognize also that so many things are seeking to usurp his position if the truth be told i think for most in the western world the usurper of that throne is ourselves we want to be god we want to sit on the throne of our own lives we, we want there to be no one who will sway over that throne of our will of our decisions of of the direction of our life other than ourselves. Christian counselors often talk of four core desires that drive people. Uh, the desire for power, the desire for control, the desire for approval, and the desire for comfort or pleasure. Now, one of those desires is, is maybe, maybe more than one, but one of them usually drives us to want to sit on that throne so that we can seek power for ourselves or we can seek control over our lives or the approval of others or, or pleasure. 
We need to choose to say, God, I, I want to seek you first. I make a decision to put you on the throne of my heart. But then we need to fight against all these other things that, that, are, that are saying, hey, no, you take the throne. You take the throne. Jesus ends this topic with these words. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you believe that? You believe that? Then, then, then wait for tomorrow to worry. And, and actually, I would say, Jesus says, you know, just leave the worries. Leave worries in the hands of the Lord. Trust God who has been faithful in the past and who will be faithful in the future. You know, forgive me this morning that so many of my applications come from Shep's death. But on Saturday evening of the weekend that we had his funeral, my kids were sitting on the deck talking about how if another one of them died, they each wanted it to be themselves. As I listened, I, I think they didn't want another one of them to leave prematurely. Ann and I have talked about, about what is going to happen to us if we lose another child to death, you know, before we die. And we both acknowledge that that could happen just because Shep has died. That doesn't mean that that such a tragedy couldn't strike my family yet again. And we have acknowledged that. But we've also said that we're not going to worry about it. We're not going to fret about it. We're not going to become disheveled or frazzled. But instead, we're going to trust God with our tomorrow and let tomorrow take care of itself. Uh, you know, something Ann said when we were talking about this that has, that has just, just riveted itself to my heart. You know, if it does happen to us again, she said, we'll just do it again. We'll just do what we've done this time, and that is trust God. God's got tomorrow. You don't need to go there in your mind. In fact, God is with you today. He won't leave you today. He'll help you with whatever's coming in the future. So, so do what you know to do. Seek him first. Love him most. Follow him best. And, and then just let him take care of you through whatever comes your way. Now, none of this means we don't pray or prepare or plan as best we can. But it does mean that we don't fret. We don't faint. We faith every minute of every day knowing that God knows our needs. Worry helps nothing, and God will take care of us because he cares for us. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to pastorjimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.